my dear people, there seem to get more and more of you every year. I get poorer and poorer. Still, I hope that I have managed to bring you all something you wanted, though not everything you asked for. Michael and Christopher, I haven't heard from John this year. I suppose he is growing too big and won't even hang up his stocking soon. It has been so bitter at the North Pole lately that the North Polar Bear has spent most of the time asleep and has been less use than usual this Christmas. Everybody does sleep most of the time here in winter, especially Father Christmas. The North Pole became colder than any cold thing ever has been, and when the North Polar Bear put his nose against it, it took the skin off. Now it is bandaged with red flannel. Why did he? I don't know. But he is always putting his nose where it oughtn't to be, into my cupboards, for instance. That's because I am hungry. Also, it has been very dark here since winter began. We haven't seen the sun, of course, for three months. But there are no northern lights this year. You remember the awful incident last year. There will be none again until the end of 1928. The North Polar Bear has got his cousin and distant friend, the Great Bear, to shine extra bright for us. And this week, I hired a comet to do my packing by, but it doesn't work as well. The North Polar Bear has not really been any more sensible this year. I have been perfectly sensible, and have learnt to write with a pen in my mouth instead of a paintbrush. Yesterday he was snowballing the snowman in the garden and pushed him over the edge of the cliff so that he fell into my sleigh at the bottom and broke lots of things. One of them was himself. I used some of what was left of him to paint my white picture. We shall have to make ourselves a new gardener when we are less busy. The man in the moon paid me a visit the other day, a fortnight ago exactly. He often does about this time, as he gets lonely in the moon, and we make him a nice little plum pudding. He is so fond of things with plums in. His fingers were cold as usual, and the North Polar Bear made him play snapdragons to warm them. Of course he burnt them, and then licked them, and then he licked the brandy, and then the bear gave him lots more, and went fast asleep on the sofa. Then I went down to the cellars to make more crackers, and he rolled off the sofa, and the wicked bear pushed him underneath and forgot about him. He can never be away a whole night from the moon, but he was this time. I have never been expected to look after the man in the moon before. I was very nice to him, and he was very comfy under the sofa. That was an extract from Letters from Father Christmas. Uh, that was one of the letters from 1926, was it? Oh, was it 27? Oh, North Polar Bear corrected me. It was, of course, 1927. Now... If you've never heard of the letters from Father Christmas before, what are you playing at? What are you doing? Have you even experienced Christmas? Um, but for anyone who doesn't know, between 1920 and 1943, the children of J.R.R. Tolkien would receive letters and drawings marked with... Uh, North Pole stamps with letters about the adventures of uh, North Polar Bear and the elves and the snowmen and snowboys and, and of goblins. course and goblins mm. and of course Father Christmas himself mm. and these were the letters from Father Christmas um, and sometime in the 70s uh, Tolkien's children had a beautiful uh, book version of these letters published uh, with scans of the actual letters uh, and typed versions as well and it's such a beautiful thing and it's so incredibly charming and touching and truly truly magical so that's the book what's the breakfast well, father christmas made some snowman oh, sorry, sorry po <laughs> no polar bear uh, i was actually asking mark what the breakfast was I'm, I'm sorry you mean you want me to go out of the room well, you've got quite a lot to do. You've got Santa's waiting. You've got to help him pack. I'm bored of helping Santa. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing it for 1,927 years. <laughs> okay, well, uh, North Polar Bear has just reluctantly trudged off upstairs, <laughs> so our special guest, guest has left us for the time being. He is right. We are having snowman-shaped crumpets. Uh, we made them earlier and shared them with the North Polar Bear. And very delicious they were, too. 
Would you agree? They were fantastic. And we had reindeer crumpets last year, mm. so I hope this becomes a long-standing tradition. I'm thinking it's got to be Christmas trees next year. Yeah. And I've got to be honest, I can't think what will happen the year after. I mean, they could do baubles, but they basically just make a regular <laughs> shape. So, oh, Baubles, snowballs. <laughs> <laughs> A um, snowball would be a spherical crumpet, yeah. if you can imagine such a thing. Oh, I suppose you could do star-shaped Christmas crumpets. Oh, yes, you could. And I think you could do a Santa-shaped head. Yeah, I think that could go wrong. Oh, the, <laughs> I like the vampire crumpets where they burn the features on it. It just looks like an amorphous blob. I think there's there's mileage in yeah. the crumpets. Um, I think, what's the... Um, Pretender's song is it ten thousand miles? Two thousand miles. Two thousand miles. You I went. Think, you went a bit too far. I think, I think there's two thousand miles of mileage <laughs> in the the Christmas crumpets. I think I was getting mixed up with the Proclaimers, who once yeah. affirmed that they would walk ten thousand miles. Uh, although for what reason isn't entirely clear. So it if is, the Proclaimers just, just to fall down at your door. Oh, is it? Okay, yeah. I, I'm sorry. I'm, I was... surpri- <laughs> I'm surprised they never put sleigh bells on that and made it like, <laughs> and I would walk 500 <laughs> miles just to be the Santa Claus. Oh, very nice. I, I they do a um, three lions on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how many, we're recording this in advance. I wonder how many versions of uh, three lions will have come <laughs> out by December 2023. I think we're on 17 at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Free Lion Halloween. <laughs> 57 years of dreaming. No, hang on. That wasn't funny. It re- I meant to say something absurdly um, exaggerated, like 500 years of dreaming. But it really <laughs> yes. is 50. Anyway, let's, talk, well, we let's stop it. talking about football songs. So what's your favourite formation of the England squad? Do you like the classic Thor Thor 2? Or do you think the more experimental, and here I lose the thread of what I'm actually talking about because we don't tend to talk about football i like the christmas one the christmas edition of the football like yes, the doctor yes. who christmas special yeah well they, oh, there we go i've broken the they, doctor who <laughs> they play with snow, snowballs instead of footballs <laughs> oh very nice yeah yeah and they did some souvenir crumpets actually they were they were spherical <laughs> not spherical they were round crumpets to commemorate anyway behold the spherical christmas crumpet now you'll notice that when i introduced this book all that time ago i didn't um i said the book is called letters from father christmas and there was normally we would say you know 1984 by george orwell and this is one of those singular books in that there's no need to say the name of the author because the name of the author is is apparent within Mm. the title Mm. itself they are written by father christmas these are letters Mm. from father christmas um and what's really interesting is that they start off, um, I think, in is, is 1920, isn't it? The first one, very, very straightforward. Um, you know, uh, dear John, I heard you ask Daddy what I was like and where I lived. I have drawn me in my house for you. Take care of the picture. I am just off to Oxford with my bundle of toys, some for you, etc., uh, etc. Et and then you know, your loving Father Christmas. Uh, and what's interesting is that as the children get a bit older and, and more numerous, uh, Father Christmas and Polar Bear's adventures become slightly more elaborate. And around the time that the children's father, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, was writing The Hobbit, uh, we get goblins attacking Father mm. Christmas's workshop. Uh, Which possibly inspired Tolkien. And I think, yeah, it, it, must, it becomes clear... Uh, and probably the children realise this eventually, comparing the contents of the letters and the runic alphabet, mm. and uh, the uh, even some Elvish at one point. Uh, that Tolkien himself was obviously quite heavily inspired yes. by Father Christmas. Mm. I'm sure Father Christmas benevolently was happy to give those uh, stories away for the greater good. This puts me in mind of the cover to The Hobbit, the original dust jacket uh, to The Hobbit. It has you're probably familiar with it. It's um it's a painting by Tolkien and it's got a sort of mountain in the middle, presumably one of the Misty Mountains. Oh, oh no, yes. it'd be Erebor, weren't it? With mm. Misty Mountains around and there's a dragon and there's a moon and a sun. And the border is all sort of runic characters. No 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 And 
We're time traveling. So we may have already talked about this in our Hobbit episode, but as we don't record these in sequence. We must away. Sorry, I'm missing. Yeah, Christmas Day. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just rudely interrupting uh, your your stories about Tolkien with songs from the Tolkien films. <laughs> Tolkien films makes it sound like he directed them himself. Yes, he's a, a regular Ridley Scott. <laughs> Or Peter Jackson, perhaps, more appropriately. <laughs> anyway, so we, we may have covered this on our Hobbit episode, but then some of you might have be discovering A Book of Breakfast for the first time. If so, welcome and Merry Christmas, and go mm. back and check out our episodes on The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Um, so the runes around the original artwork for the first edition of The Hobbit uh, are written in a real uh, alphabet. It wasn't something that Tolkien invented, and therefore they can be translated. Mm. And it says this, the the full title of the book, if you will, it says The Hobbit, or There and Back Again, being the record of a year's journey made by Bilbo Baggins, compiled from his memoirs by J.R.R. Tolkien and published by George Allen and Unwin. And I love that, the idea that this book is the real memoirs mm. of the real Bilbo Baggins compiled by J.R.R. Tolkien. He's presenting this to us. It's interesting. I'm sure there must be a modern-day equivalent of that as well, of people that take other people's stories and write sort of official histories of them, like a sort of <laughs> official scribe. And I suppose that's what Tolkien is. I su- yeah. And it, it, I guess it, it ties into this concept uh, that Tolkien called secondary belief, mm. and it was about the importance of fantasy. And I'm just going to... I'll stray ever so slightly... Uh, this is an article I found on a website called Valar Guild. Uh, Secondary belief is a term coined by J.R.R. Tolkien in consequence of his theories on subcreation and secondary worlds. It is, however, also in direct challenge to the widely influential conclusion by Coleridge that the ideal reader-writer relationship is achieved by willing suspension of disbelief. For this to succeed, the reader must first be positively inclined willing and secondly they must decide not to apply the same expectations of consistency logic and accountability that they would outside the literary world however in simply stifling disbelief we are likely already to have stepped out of the story tolkien therefore argues that suspension of any kind is not desirable in reading because the moment disbelief arises, the spell is broken, and more specifically of fairy stories, the magic, or rather the art, has failed. You are then outside the primary world again, looking in at the little abortive world. I am reminded of being in Tolkien studies at university here, because I, I think we've talked about this on the podcast before. Because yes. uh, that was an extract from On Fairy Stories, <laughs> yes. which you we did studied, on your yeah. course, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it reminds me of the fact that even though Tolkien and C.S. Lewis were famously very good friends Tolkien didn't like uh, the Chronicles of Narnia because he said there was no consistency to them uh, his point being that Father Christmas is a character in uh, Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe but the, but there's no uh, yeah there's, there's Christmas but there's no Christ mm. within the sort of internal logic of the world <laughs> and you only have to read the Lord of the Rings to understand how, how Tolkien felt about the um, uh, that consistency of world building and de- and the, the sheer detail that half of what you read in the Lord of the Rings you don't know what it means especially first time round but that sort of doesn't matter because you know that the characters believe it and and it provides this backdrop to make the reader believe that the world they are in is completely real. I would argue the same about Twin Peaks, something else we regularly yeah, touch yeah. on, and anything by David Lynch really. You are sort of presented with these things uh, that don't seem to make a bit uh, <laughs> they don't seem to make a bit of sense that was a <laughs> sort of Freudian slip there in terms of the actual narrative that you're witnessing and yet somehow they colour your interpretation of that world mm. and um, I guess Tolkien's kind of internal world building comes out in the same way that Lynch's vision does in his cinematic productions. And in terms of that, you know, the importance of that belief I'm reminded of another author, uh, specifically uh, one book, uh, and that's The Hogfather by Terry Pratchett, that we may have covered in the past or the future or both (laughs) on this podcast. As I say, there's some time travel involved when we record these episodes. But um, 
We need to employ a continuity advisor. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll end up with some Coronation Street-style anomalies <laughs> and slight plot holes. Um, sorry, but that, that, sorry, Coronation Street. That makes it more fun. <laughs> yeah, it does, yeah. <laughs> um, but there's a, there's a fantastic point in Hogfather, which very briefly uh, is a lot of Pratchett's books are set in his fantasy world, which is the Discworld. And uh, the Hogfather is like the Discworld equivalent of Father Christmas. And there's there's a, a wonderful observation towards the end of the book about the importance of fantasy uh, and, and the way he, he describes it, or the character of death describes it in that book, is that humans need to start off believing the little lies in order to believe the big lies later mm-hmm. on in life um, of, of mercy and, and justice and fairness and... Uh, one of the characters sort of dismisses that as or you're saying that humans need fantasy to be able to cope with reality and death says no humans need fantasy in order to be human that says it's so Pratchett that mm. and it's kind of such a Pratchett message as well I know we're not talking about Terry Pratchett today specifically we're talking about Father Christmas yes but I I would argue that Pratchett's books are that they are serious important messages for the human soul wrapped up as whimsy and fantasy and he's doing exactly the same mm, thing in mm. a kind of meta way through his books as he's saying in those yeah. statements and Pratchett was a huge Lord of the Rings fan mm. uh, well a huge Tolkien fan actually and I've discovered recently as a teenager Terry Pratchett wrote to Tolkien and got a letter oh, back oh my word and, yeah um, it was all about how much he enjoyed um a book called Smith of Wotton Major, mm. which is a, a little novella. I've not read that. It's, it's adorable. You'd absolutely love it. Um, but, yeah, so going back to this, I bought a huge hardback illustrated edition of this uh, for a friend's daughter a couple of years ago. And I thought, I wonder if there's there's anything in there that she shouldn't read or shouldn't know. Mm. And I went on a Facebook group and asked, um, does this does this say that these are the letters from Father Christmas or does it explicitly state that they were written by John Ronald Tolkien? And everyone said, oh, yes, yes, blah, 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 blah. But it doesn't say that anywhere in the book. Mm. Obviously, it's copyrighted. It has the, the you know the, the the Tolkien estate logo on because well, it's... Well, that's because he's the scribe. The, well, and the letters belong to the family. Mm. Uh, but... I think if you noticed any similarities between Father Christmas's shaky handwriting and Tolkien's own handwriting, I think you would have to come to the inescapable conclusion that Tolkien was Father Christmas. Ah. (laughs) But the sheer detail that the author has gone into with these letters and the wonderful paintings and drawings that, that accompany them, I can only imagine the excitement of being a child and receiving one of those letters and to know that you know imagine being priscilla to know that you know for at least a decade her older brothers had been receiving the same letters yeah. and to go back and reread them and know that there was a continuity and the stories you know the letters reference um events from previous years like goblin uh, raids on on father christmas's stores or north polar bear accidentally turning off the northern lights <laughs> but uh, so how did you first discover letters from father christmas i think um i heard about it from getting into lord of the rings um and i think i simply read about it um, or, or read it in the list of other works that Tolkien had written. Um, and then my mum bought it me for Christmas, as oh, I remember wow. right. Um, so it was my mum that introduced me to it. Um, this was when I was a teenager, if not in my early 20s, so I didn't discover it as a child. Mm. Did you? No, I didn't even know it existed until you told me about it. Really? I didn't first read... Oh, my word. I can't believe I introduced you to some Tolkien. (laughs) I know, I know. Um, Get get me, I'll be talking all about uh, Numenor and (laughs) Bjarninuth and uh, Grithclaw and all that stuff soon. All that that Tolkien stuff that you're into. I think that last one was from Harry Potter. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, I didn't read this till I was in my 30s. Oh, right. Oh, wow. Uh, And I actually, I read... 
a pre you know on kindle you can get a preview of a mm. book it was in march and i really wanted to read it so i read the preview march and this it, year no 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 just okay. meant it was oh, right. it wasn't christmas is the point <laughs> okay. and it, I, I got all teary and, oh. and i really wanted to but i thought no uh so i bought it but then didn't read it till till christmas oh, i bet the temptation to read it was so strong although i know you're quite a christmas purist yeah, yeah. so yeah it, no it was more amazing that i actually read the sample yeah <laughs> Yeah. And what's really poignant about this, I mean, there are so many reasons it's, it's poignant, um, is that the period that it, that it covers and we see how the children's lives are affected by what's going on in the world. And it ends in 1943 mm. in the midst of, of, of the Second World War. And, and you, you, you hear that Father Christmas is talking about the Goblin Wars and how mm. they've affected his supplies. And, it's, you know... It, on the one hand, it's incredibly... You know what? It reminds me of Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, interesting. In that sense that you've got this sort of gritty, horrific reality mm. of war and then this this child's escapist version of it. It's interesting. You've referenced Pan's Labyrinth before on this podcast, I think. Oh, or maybe right. it was just in a conversation. But I'd like to go back and re-watch it. Maybe we should watch it together. Um, is, is it a book? I don't know. Um, well, hang on, let me rephrase. It is a book. Um, my <laughs> wife mentioned that there was that it was based on a book, um, and I thought, is it? And then I was in Waterstones the other day, and I saw a book called Pan's Labyrinth. Now, mm. whether it's a novelization or a tie-in, um, I have no idea. But either way, I'd love to read it, and that would give us a, a great excuse to discuss it on the podcast. Yeah, that's a brilliant idea. I think he probably... Del Toro did probably write it because he says he stated that he considers the story to be a parable, parable, <laughs> parable Inf- influenced by fairy tales. Oh, um, a novelization by Del Toro and Cornelia Funk. Oh, there you go. So it's a novelization. Nevertheless, think... we're not we're not averse to the odd novelization on mm. this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but even in that, uh, in the extract we read at the beginning. Um, there is that hint of melancholy because it says that uh, Father Christmas hasn't heard from John and he suspects that he'll be hanging up his stocking soon, which reminds me of, um, you know, off the top of my head, I can't, there's Michael, Christopher, John, and Priscilla. I, d- I think that's all of them. I'm not, there are four, yeah. yeah. Um, and Priscilla was the youngest, uh, so she, and you know, that's sad by the end, the letters are solely addressed to Priscilla and what's Mm. even sadder and more poignant is that by the end Christopher Tolkien would have been in in the RAF oh my word uh, you know whilst you know at one point Santa was writing to him and and filling his stocking and Mm. and now he's off Mm. fighting in the second world war but um uh on one of the one of the letters from 1931 uh you get uh you need not believe any pictures you see of me in aeroplanes or motors. I cannot drive one and don't want to. And they are too slow anyway, and not to mention smell. Because Tolkien himself, even, I believe, in the 30s, gave up owning a car because he thought it was oh. bad for the environment. And we've talked about um, Tolkien's Trains. environmental, yeah. Mm. Beliefs. Um, Scars stretching across the yes, landscape. Yeah. Uh, but he goes on to say, Father Christmas, that is, goes on to say, One day I will send you a picture of my deer stables and harness horses. I'm expecting that John, although he is now over 14, will hang up his stocking this last time. But I don't forget people, even when they are past stocking age, not until they have forgotten me. It's so heartbreaking. Um, Yeah. It reminds me of the Hogfather as well, that Mm, line. The idea of... uh, Everyone collectively forgetting about Father Christmas and oh, being made to forget about Father yeah. Christmas and then the myth disappearing. Which, you know, this is very sad, but um, Christmas is happy sad. Uh, yeah. Ahead of this episode, I had to get a, a, fa- was a screenshot from a, a message I sent you. So we actually, we record these series out of order and we always start with the christmas one so that we can record it at christmas time so like we are, who yep we are sat here it really is christmas we really have got um snowman crumpets but it's actually christmas 2022 this episode won't be going out till uh, next year uh and earlier this year uh priscilla tolkien passed away uh and i had to find the message uh 
I sent to Mark on that day, on the 1st of March, um, I sent this message. I've just heard that Priscilla Tolkien, Tolkien's youngest child, has died. It's no great shock, as she was 92, although it has made me incredibly sad because of the letters from Father Christmas. And then I said, those letters truly are from Father Christmas, and no one could persuade me otherwise. And the fact that she was still alive was a link to that. And now that she's gone, I feel like a little bit of magic has been lost from the world mm -hmm. forever. And it put me in mind of the final letter in the book, which mm -hmm. is sort of got so resonant on so many levels. Because on the one hand, it's 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 written during the war, during such a, a, a bleak and difficult time. Uh, and it's the eldest and last of the Tolkien children. Uh, Priscilla was 14 when she received this letter. And apparently by this time she didn't believe in Father Christmas anymore. But she got a letter anyway. And it reminds me of um, a line in Last Christmas, an episode of Doctor Who, uh, when uh, Nick Frost's... Of all the actors to portray <laughs> Father Christmas, you've got to have Nicholas Frost. <laughs> uh, nominal determinism. Uh, Nick Frost's Santa uh, says, you know, I have looked after you from Christmas to Christmas. And then one of the characters says, but you're not real. And he said, yeah, that never stopped me. Mm. So even by this point, Priscilla had stopped believing in Father Christmas. He wrote her one last letter. My dear Priscilla, a very happy Christmas. I suppose we will be hanging up your stocking just once more. I hope so, for I have still a few little things for you. After this, I shall have to say goodbye, more or less. I mean, I shall not forget you. We always keep the old numbers of our old friends and their letters, and later on we hope to come back when they are grown up and have houses of their own and children. My messengers tell me that people call it grim this year. I think they mean miserable, and so it is, I fear, in very many places where I was specially fond of going. But I am very glad to hear that you are still not really miserable. Don't be. I am still very much alive, and shall come back again soon, as merry as ever. There has been no damage in my country, and though my stocks are running rather low, I hope soon to put that right. Polar Bear, too tired to write himself, so he says. I am, really. Sends a special message to you. Love and a hug. He says, do ask if she still has a bear called Silly Billy, or something like that, or is he worn out? Give my love to the others, John and Michael and Christopher, and of course to all your pets that you used to tell me about. Polar Bear and all the cubs are very well. They have really been very good this year, and have hardly had time to get into any mischief. I hope you will find most of the things that you wanted, and I'm very sorry that I have no cat's tongues left. But I have sent nearly all the books you asked for. I hope your stocking will seem full. Very much love from your old friend, Father Christmas. <laughs> in some ways, and maybe this is sacrilege, but in terms of beauty and poignancy and nostalgia and wistfulness, this has almost supplanted for me uh, the house at Pooh Corner mm. in terms of uh, the ultimate happy, sad ending. Um, and they're both very, very similar. I read this to my girlfriend last week. I told her uh, what we were doing and uh, she hadn't heard of it before. So I was telling her about the book uh, and I said, oh, I've got to read you the last letter. And when I read it to her, I just burst into tears. Yeah. And I thought I might do the same I was, tonight. I was tearing up when you were reading <laughs> it then. And of all things, uh, the fact that he asks after her teddy bear. Yes. And does she still have him or is he worn out? Mm. And what, what an incredible metaphor yeah. or, or analogy rather for for not just childhood, but belief as well mm. and magic and imagination. And you, you couldn't, if you were inventing... Uh, a sort of nostalgic, uh, magical children's book. You, you know, that's th this is real life. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, but it's so so perfectly apt. Yeah. It's just, oh yeah, we've um, we've gone right to the the sad stuff, really, haven't <laughs> we? Maybe we should um, concentrate a little bit on how fun and joyous yeah. this book is. But even 
in even the most joyous letters, there are those hints of melancholy. But and yet, even you know that 1943 letter is without doubt the saddest and the most melancholy. Uh, but yet, you know that, that line where Father Christmas is saying, uh, you know. I'm, I'm glad to hear you're not miserable. Don't be. I am still very much alive and shall come back soon again, as merry as ever. I mean, there's something, I think Father Christmas and the tone of his voice in the letters was definitely an, an inspiration for Gandalf. Yes, completely. Uh, and that's something, like, you can imagine Gandalf saying that. And the whole sentiment, you know, you, you see again and again in Lord of the Rings, that, that optimism, that hope. I was about to say, it's like that famous Gandalf quote, one day I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. <laughs> and then I realised that's uh, William Hartnell talking to Susan. <laughs> but maybe the point still Gandalf, Father Christmas and the Doctor are all one and the same. Yeah, I think so, yeah. We're back now. We just had a little break there. But we're back with honey and ham and turkey and treacle. I do not eat turkey or meat. I stick to the sweet, which is why, as all know, I am so sweet myself. North Polar Bear is, of course, right. We haven't got turkey or ham or treacle. We've got the sweet. We've got hot chocolate in a possibly mm. a book at breakfast first. Yes, we're I not think it drinking is. tea, mm. but it's uh, it's a cold, dark December morning, and it was it, we, yeah. It is the Christmas special thing. You have to do things a little bit differently for the Christmas special. Yeah, I, you couldn't have only fools and horses without the you know, Christmas tree in the background. I wish I could think of the more specific example. I was I had the kettle on ready and Mark texted me on his way over and said, Actually, you know what? Have you got any hot chocolate? And I thought, mm. Oh yeah. Yeah. So there we go. Um but yeah, so uh, going back to our, our Lord of the Rings episode from September twenty 20- 22 um, that you got away with just parts <laughs> one two and three and the hobbit <laughs> follow-up but no here we are lord of the rings part five <laughs> the this sequel is, it's getting longer than the extended <laughs> versions of the peter jackson <laughs> trilogy plus the hobbit trilogy um yeah we celebrated beren as a canonically vegetarian mm. character in tolkien tolkien's legendarium now this isn't part of that mythology obviously because this is all real but we get another another great literary vegetarian. Mm. Polar bear says he doesn't eat meat. It's interesting as well because I'm going to go off on a tangent about bears here. I, well, I wondered most... what took you so long. <laughs> most people think of bears as being the great carnivores, um, but a lot of bears actually barely eat meat and live off the diet of barely fruit and grains. <laughs> I went to a bear sanctuary in Germany a couple of years ago and they were putting the food out for the bears, and it was all apples and grapes and berries. It was huge fruit bowls, and they devoured them whole, and they lived entirely off a diet of fruit. But ironically, in the wild, out of the bear kingdom, the polar bears do kind of let the vegetarian side down because <laughs> they are one of the most rampant carnivores <laughs> in nature. But not North Polar Bear. No. There you go. But yeah, the... um. The reference uh, to um, honey and ham and turkey and treacle is from a letter from, what year would it have been? It's a long one. Uh, 1938. And by this point, Father Christmas uh, has a secretary, Mm. uh, an elf (laughs) called Ilbereth, not to be confused with Elbereth from The Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Completely different. Another thing that Tolkien clearly (laughs) borrowed. Um uh, and uh, yeah, there's an interjection from Polar Bear uh, because a lot of what Ilbereth and Father Christmas say about um, Polar Bear isn't actually true, or at least they <laughs> exaggerate wildly. It's, it's not true. <laughs> uh, he says, apart from the good stuff, who is it? Absolute rot. I have not got a pain in my butt. <laughs> um, uh, and what's interesting, you know, because uh, North Polar Bear has this. Um, very kind of uh, simplistic way of speaking. In fact, in his very first appearance, he says, excuse the writing, I have got a fat paw. (laughs) (laughs) But then we learn later that he's holding his paintbrush with his mouth instead of his... Um, But of course, he then goes on to say that he can't speak English very well because he speaks Arctic, which is bear language. Mm. Um, uh, And similarly, Ilbereth... Uh, you get that that brilliant crossover between sort of like the world of Tolkien and and the Father Christmas 
mythos, as it were. That um, perhaps one of the same. Of course, there are elves at the North Pole, mm. uh, but you know, not you don't typically imagine them as being Legolas esque elves. But at one point, um, Ilbereth starts writing in his own language, which is suspiciously. Uh, Tengua-esque to me, which is one of Tolkien's elvish languages. I'm glad you gave the definition there because yeah. uh, my limited knowledge of the Tolkien <laughs> world needed a glossary for that one. Yeah, another thing that Tolkien plagiarised. I'm starting to think that Tolkien didn't invent anything. <laughs> but then he always said that he never invented things that they arose in his mind as given. Like He he was more like a, an archaeologist. Um, yeah, a scribe. A scribe. There we go. Coming back to that, in some ways, talking about this book um, is dancing about architecture to an extent because we've got the letters and they're wonderful and the the voices of Father Christmas and, and North Polar Bear and Ilbereth are, are just, you know, they're so real um, and you can hear, you know, you can hear them and yet a good 50%, if not more, of this book is, is the artwork. Yeah, and, and even gorgeous. when it's just the scans of the letters themselves the writing the handwriting and the different characteristics in the handwriting the different colored inks and They're some like of the... the illuminated letters that you get at the start of classic texts yes um, each page is like that although it's not just one letter illuminated at the start they're all illuminated by different colours and drawings and shapes, little symbols and entry. Yeah. It's and magical. At, and at one point we have an entire alphabet. There's a, a bit mm. where um, uh, when they, they realise that goblins have been stealing from uh, Father Christmas's store, Polar Bear goes to investigate and he finds cave paintings. Mm. And there's, there's a whole alphabet in there. And it's which polar bear transcribes, I think <laughs> he does. Yeah. yeah, and even you know we, we joke about uh, a rather intelligent bear, despite what Father Christmas <laughs> would have you believe. We joke about you know uh, polar bears' style uh, being simplistic, but even that that there is a back to that secondary belief. There's a there's an inner consistency here, because if you look, I'm I'm saying look, you're listening, but I'm I'm, ch- <laughs> I'm pointing out this page to Mark. Uh, PB's handwriting is kind of runic it's mm. angular you know there's there's no curvature he he, he stylizes his t's like upwards pointing mm. arrows in that sort of norse way kind of hinting that you know he's 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 from this scandinavian part of the world and has a different you know um his letters are rooted in a dif- different culture he's a to, creature of the north the he is yeah oh, it's so it's so brilliant and even that his name like the North Polar Bear. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's a typical kind of Tolkien-esque, uh, you know, w- word play. Yes. So the last letter to the Tolkien children that we know of, that is published, I should say, is in 1943. The one we read earlier. And I like to think that um, Christopher's children and Priscilla's children and Michael's children... Uh, all received their own letters from Father oh, Christmas. I hope Maybe so. I hope Simon Tolkien's children yeah. are now receiving letters from Father Christmas. What about you? Did you ever receive a letter from Father Christmas? Unfortunately, I've no memory of doing. I remember writing letters to Father Christmas, and I remember writing uh, a very passionate letter to the local newspaper about people vandalising the Christmas tree lights. Oh, my God. Which my dad assured me the paper had published, and then he had unfortunately <laughs> thrown the paper away so he wasn't able to show me. And I thought, Dad, you fool, why did you throw that paper away? And now I realise that he might have been humouring me. So thank you, Dad, for that one. But no, I don't remember if I did receive any letters from Father Christmas. Perhaps if my mum or dad are listening to this, they could correct me on that. What about you? Yeah, I found it quite recently as oh, well. Oh, wow. And have you got it with you? I haven't got it with oh. me. I, 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 it's in storage somewhere. We'll have to use the power um, of our imagination, children. Uh, I wanted a Terminator action figure for mm. Christmas, and Father Christmas told me I could have one. Uh, and what surprised me was that Father Christmas spelt Terminator wrong. You'd think he would know everything, but I guess he doesn't like modern things. It could have been his shaky handwriting oh, that's as well. Right. well. It's funny you mention his handwriting. It was bizarrely similar, almost identical to my nan's handwriting. Mm. So I think that she must have, you know, copied his style well, in possibly, her own writing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and 
going maybe back your nan to and Father Christmas were friends. Or maybe my nan was Father Christmas. Mm. I think my mum was Father Christmas as well. Mm. Um, I think mine was Mother too, Christmas. Actually. My mum said when I was little, uh, on Christmas Eve, she'd always stand outside my door on the landing with some little bells mm. uh, and ask me if I'd heard Santa in the night. <laughs> And I would say no. <laughs> but 10 points. Apart from the one year she didn't do it. Oh. And I swore blind I'd heard sleigh bells oh, wow. in the night. That's a true story. Um, Did I tell you about seeing Santa in the window? And I talked about that. You um, know what? W- w- yeah, I know about this. And I remember us talking about it publicly, but I don't think it was on the podcast. So one year, me and my sister were in the bedroom looking at the sky on a Christmas Eve for Father Christmas. And then we saw him. He shot past in a sleigh propelled by reindeers. I definitely saw that. I remember it. My sister was quite young. She's a little bit younger than me, so I don't know if she'd remember it. But clear as day, we saw Father Christmas in the sky. And that's that's all the evidence I need. There are great little details in this book. Like sometimes the, 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 the goblins raid the store and the children can't get what they want for Christmas and on another occasion there's been some mix-up probably PB's fault or at least as Father <laughs> Christmas was have, would have it PB's fault um, that uh, the boys toys and the girls toys get mixed up <laughs> and you wonder what if that was perhaps true and things have been wrapped without being clearly labelled <laughs> Uh, and also, we talk about these. I've just got it open on a completely random page. Uh, page 109 in the edition I've got Christmas 1933. And there's a wonderful pa- uh, wonderful uh, picture of North Polar Bear fights. It's pretty much, there's some elves there as well, I think, but pretty much single handedly fighting a legion of goblins. And in a, it actually reminds me of, uh, of Bayon in The Hobbit. Uh, oh, yes, how of he takes, uh, takes on all the oh. goblins at the end. Do you think Bayon and North Polar Bear might be related? I think that well, North Polar Bear. At some there's one point in this book where he he Father Christmas says that North Polar Bear thinks he's related to every other bear. Ah. So so definitely distant cousins, I think, and they're both vegetarian. Ah, yes, and of both both one man or bear armies. <laughs> um, but there are some years when there aren't any pictures uh and what's interesting is that obviously you know because we we get towards the late 30s early 40s when there was rationing and um and there wouldn't have been ink readily available Mm. and there would have paid well as we know from the publication of lord of the rings which was way after the war that there was there was paper rationing and and it's amazing in that sort of pan's labyrinth way that that scarcity can become a magical thing, mm. uh, which reminds me of one year. I, I don't know if anyone else remembers this. There was it was a I guess it was a, a sort of craze in the early nineties. There was a toy, it was sort of teddy, called My Pet Monster. It was like a big, purple, furry monster with sort of fangs. Do you remember them? Yeah, I do know you describe it. And I really, really wanted one, and. I got one for Christmas mm. 1993 or thereabouts. Oh, that's no, spe- no, earlier. Very, I was going to say, that's very specific. Hang on. What day was it? What specific day? <laughs> I'm hazarding was... a guess. December 25th. No, I think it was 91, actually. Mm. When did, no, when did Batman Returns come out? I got a Catwoman was figure. Was that 1990? Oh, no. Oh, no. Bat- no, oh, Batman was 89. So yeah. I think Batman Returns was 91, maybe. Well, right. they're yeah. uh, very, very, very early 90s. Um... I got uh, a My Pet Monster for Christmas, mm. but he was slightly damaged. Oh, his, no. his nose was scratched, oh. plastic nose. Do you think that's because he got it stuck to the ice and he ripped the skin off and they had Close. to wrap it up with a, a red scarf? Because he came with a letter from Father Christmas oh. explaining uh, that Father Christmas was sorry because he brought me my monster down the chimney because the chimney oh. was so narrow, his nose got scratched on the brick and doesn't that just make the toy even better that, yeah exactly and it sort of it went from being a great toy to the best toy yeah. ever because that toy which i still own to this day really is yeah i found it quite recently mm-hmm. and he now he now lives in in my bedroom <laughs> in the wardrobe uh is you know, like living well 
stuffed physical <laughs> proof of the existence of Father Christmas. Uh, so like, you've, but, got, you've got physical proof, I've got visual proof, and we've got all these letters And we've got all these wonderful letters. I, um, I was talking to a friend of ours that we went to school with last year, who had not seen for ages, and we were talking about books and things, and I can't remember how, how it came up in conversation, but she said she'd never read The Hobbit or The Lord of the oh. Rings. And I said, well, well, you've got to read it. But she was, she's was she got kids, and she was talking about, you know, leaving a glass of sherry and a mince pie yeah. out on Father Christmas. And, and I found myself... You know, when you say something without really thinking it through and you shock yourself by the, the truth of what you say, I said, well, if you're going to buy a, a thing with the Tolkien name on it, I said, don't bother with mm. Lord of the Rings, don't bother with The Hobbit, get... <laughs> letters from father christmas was this you saying this sorry yeah right oh wow well i've i've learned something new about chris newton today i thought you knew i knew you as well as could be well i learned something new about myself when i said it but i yeah. you know if I'm a, i truly meant it in that moment and i'm not necessarily saying that it's better or i prefer it but i meant for her mm. for the, i thought for, for you this is that yeah um, and it's it's you know if they get the magic of tolkien through his scribing of father mm. christmas's letters they of course might have found a gateway into the Hobbit. And well, exactly, rings. yeah. And and if you, yeah, it'd be interesting if you read these letters as a, as a kid, you'd um, well, then you go on to read the Hobbit and you would recognise uh, some of the languages and the runes and the goblins and even even the elves to an extent, even though they're the more like traditional elves in here. And it's very it's very important. I've slipped up a few times during this episode and said Santa Claus, mm. not to you know not to knock American or Dutch uh, traditions, but you know Tolkien would never ever ever have called him uh, Santa Claus because of course in England in Britain he is Father Christmas. Mm. Um, and what I find really interesting, we actually touched upon this in our Christmas episode last year when we talked about a Christmas Carol, and we talked about. Uh, the ghost of Christmas present as a kind of Father Christmas figure, but sort of a very uh, early version. It, well, you know, compared to the modern day sort of red and white Santa Claus, we were saying that that character, that that figure, had more in common with the sort of pagan Yule Father, um, who Joel Father was was one of the many names of Odin. Which again, there's a connection there because the odin being a kind of inspiration for gandalf but um you know obviously tolkien was a devout catholic mm. and his religion was incredibly important to him and his children and you would think uh if you got us a, a little snapshot into the lives of of this professor and his children you would think that their christmas would be a very very a Chris, not, not i'm not out to get any religious people uh, and I hope there's no offence taken here, but you would expect the kind of Christmas with advent calendars that didn't have chocolate inside them. <laughs> <laughs> and you get this absolute world of, of joy and mm. magic and, and wonder. Uh, and of course, you know, in one of the letters, the, one of the kids has clearly asked Father Christmas how old he is. And he says, I'm 926 or... Sorry, 1,927, uh, 1, I think. 20, yeah, yeah, because obviously it's... 1927 AD. Yeah. So the, the idea that Father oh, Christmas... It was 1923 at the time. So he was oh, obviously around a few years before. No, there is... I wasn't going to go into this, but... There... Oh, my word. <laughs> Sorry, have I opened a can of worms? Yeah, there is some nerdery around this. Basically, um, there was... Um, in Catholicism, there was actually some debate as to when ah. Christ was actually born. And they, they, they think that initially they got it wrong oh, so right. despite the fact that the dates were kind of set in stone by that point they realized that they thought christ was born seven years earlier than so the joke ah, so it's not just father christmas being sort of woolly headed when he says um it is very cold today and my hand is very shaky i am 1924 no no seven I'm 1927 years old on Christmas Day. That was this it. was in 1923. Yeah, so that was Tolkien sort of... It seems like Father Christmas being woolly-headed, but actually that's Tolkien saying that's when Christ was really born. <laughs> but uh, and, and there are little references like that. Uh, and the idea that, you know, that Father Christmas is, of course, as old as Christmas. Like mm. he, in that kind of hogfatherish way... And as an anthropomorphic personification, he kind of spontaneously sprang into being uh, at the same time as that. And yet there is that 
you know, Tolkien as a um as a philologist, someone with an immense knowledge of of words and history and the history of words, was aware that this character didn't spring into being, you know, uh two thousand and twenty three years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever his personal religious beliefs might have been and there are concessions there are concessions to that and i love the fact that this father christmas mentions his grandfather mm. uh is i think he is the yule father or old father yule i can't quite remember and also intriguingly his green brother yes and that idea you know and and you imagine sort of um the ghost of christmas present or that you know the the, the pre-coca-cola although According to Bill Bryson, it wasn't strictly Coca-Cola who who made Father Christmas red. We don't know for certain, actually. I was just wondering, actually, because Tolkien's drawing of Father Christmas mm. is red. And when I love... did the red Father Christmas come into existence? It was. It, I think it was the. Um... Well, the images of Father Christmas. I should know this because I've only just listened to Bill Bryson's Secret History of Christmas, <laughs> uh, which we so, may discuss one year. Well, I hope so. Yeah, but traditionally, he was in in green. Um, in that you know my green brother kind of vein uh and there was a famous artist uh who started depicting i think it was in an an american newspaper i guess it would have been around the, the 20s um and he drew santa santa claus as we kind of imagine mm. him today and it's popularly said that he introduced the idea of him in red but the truth is they were black and white Uh, reproductions in the newspaper (laughs) and he was dark and people assumed it was red and then coca-cola made him red so there's no there's no certainty really interesting do you think we've met father christmas's green brother in any other tolkien books perhaps well i'm not sure that we have but Mm. we were we were reading um that i think arguably the best letter in it is one that's all done in verse mm. with with deliberately bad rhyming <laughs> uh, uh in, in which tolkien or rather father christmas rhymes uh, priscilla with pillar uh and then north polar bear interjects to say that priscilla doesn't rhyme with pillow <laughs> it, but it it has this wonderful meter to it and it's it's absolutely gorgeous um what was the oh sorry i've got it yeah yeah he has broken saucers cups (laughs) and plates and eats lots of chocolates (laughs) perfect um and there's a sort of musical whimsy to it that i find oddly reminiscent of um the way tom bombadil talks Mm. in the lord of the rings and in the adventures of tom bombadil and uh, and we were saying in a strange sort of way, again, as an anthropomorphic personification, that Father Christmas or the Father Christmas in this book sort of is to Christmas and is to the North Pole what Tom Bombadil is to the old forest in mm. The Lord of the Rings. Especially at the end of the... You know, there's that strange idea that in the midst of all the sort of threat and and terror in in the lord of the rings they're totally safe in the old forest yeah. uh, and the bit where um you know the the hobbits are attacked by old man willow and it seems you know re- really scary but then when tom bombadil comes along it's suddenly a trifle and so with the barrow whites when they're when they're captured and and they're kind of led unconscious with a sword across their throats but then Tom Bombadil comes and, and sings the Barrow Whites away. I suppose uh, it's like the way the war doesn't touch the yes. North Pole for Father Christmas. It's it's happening in the world, and of course he's aware of it because he travels all over the world, but the war doesn't actually come to the North Pole. Well, not World War Two anyway, a different kind of war. Mm. Comes well, to... yeah, the Goblin War. Mm. However, in uh, in what, what year was the year of the poem? Uh 1938 oh so good Mm. uh but it ends with the goblins you'll be glad to hear have not been seen at all this year not near the pole but i am told they're moving south and getting bold and coming back to many lands and making with their wicked hands new mines and caves but do not fear they'll hide away when i appear (laughs) and yeah in 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 that tom bombadil could really be um father christmas's green brother Mm. there and there is something to be said for that because and there's that idea of the green man in nature as well and you know uh, and and and, you know the the winter king and all that that kind of that sort of that that pagan mythology and these idea of kind of um you know spirits 
of of the sea that you know that tom bombadil is kind of more he is the woods or in my in my interpretation or he mm-hmm. is nature um whereas other spirits and other sort of folkloric characters you get the impression are kind of like personifications of seasons themselves and in that vein you know not just christmas because for whatever reason father christmas is this this folkloric character this anthropomorphic personification synonymous with the north pole you know this father christmas he isn't just christmas he sort of he's almost a kind of guardian of that air area and you get you know um of course there is a north pole just like in last christmas <laughs> yeah you know, the next episode like if, yes. if it was a pole it wouldn't be stripey he said well <laughs> if it didn't have stripes on it you wouldn't see it spinning around that's that's just basic <laughs> physics uh, and he think he, he mentions turning on the northern lights mm. or as he calls them the rory borealis yes. uh and uh and it puts me in mind of you know it's not all goblin wars there's a lot of hijinks and and misadventure and silly things uh, and there's in that vein there's a letter from 1926 where he says uh, that he is more shaky than usual this year and that it's the north polar bear's fault it was the biggest bang in the world and the most monstrous firework there ever has been it turned the north pole black and shook all the stars out of place broke the moon into four and the man in it fell into my back garden he ate quite a lot of my Christmas chocolates before he said he felt better and climbed back to mend it and get the stars tidy. And even that, that that's quite a sort of childlike concept that somehow if you're in the the northern hemisphere of, of the earth, you're somehow closer to the moon mm-hmm. and therefore the stars. And there's something really magical about that. But then, And then I found out that the reindeer had broken loose and they were running all over the country, breaking reins and ropes and tossing presents up in the air. They were all packed up to start, you see. Yes, it only happened this morning. And it was a sleigh load of chocolate things, which I always send to England early. I hope yours are not too badly damaged. <laughs> you get the impression that something had happened to the Tolkien's chocolates yeah. that year. <laughs> Uh, and he goes on to say, but isn't North Polar Bear silly? And he isn't a bit sorry. Of yes, course, yes, <laughs> of course he did it. You remember I had to move last year because of him. The tap for turning on the Rory Borealis fireworks <laughs> is still in the cellar of my old house. The North Polar Bear knew he must never, never touch it. I only let it off on special days like Christmas. He says he thought it was cut off since we moved. Anyway, he was nosing around the ruins this morning soon after breakfast. He hides to eat over there. He hides things to eat over there. And turned on all the northern lights for two years in one go. I have never seen or heard anything like it. I have tried to draw a picture of it, but I'm too shaky to do it properly. And you can't paint fizzing light, can you? And on some editions this wonderful painting is actually the cover it's it's bizarre it almost looks like peacock feathers and yeah. it's got a, a blackened north pole with this exploding northern lights behind and father christmas rushing to try and turn it off talking of uh, anachronistic details or <laughs> explaining the inexplicable in nature oh one of my favorite <laughs> drawings in here is um North Polar Bear sort of dancing. I think he's dancing yeah, with some yeah. penguins. It's so and it's lovely, such a delightful it? drawing. It's a bit Raymond Briggs on the bear's isn't it? face, yeah, and the penguins all hopping from foot to foot. And I love his explanation that of course there are no penguins in the North Pole, but they've mm. come north to help because they've heard yeah. about all the problems yeah. he's been having. Yeah. He, he, can, he says they're sort of like evacuees. Yes, he compares um, them to evacuees. But children. says instead of having been sent away, they'd heard about the mm. war with the goblins and they'd erroneously been informed that Father Christmas had been kidnapped by mm. goblins so they've all come to help but of course they turn they, they arrive to find that isn't true so they just have a party instead <laughs> so so great and yeah so if you haven't read the letters from Father Christmas there's 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 no cosier way to, to spend a, a December evening with a hot chocolate, a roaring fire, mm-hmm. and the, the letters from Father Christmas, the actual letters from Father Christmas. Some people will tell you that they were written by uh, John Ronald Tolkien to his children, but as Mark says, he was, he was merely the scribe because these are the letters from Father Christmas. Well, that's the end of our discussion on 
the letters from Father Christmas. But it's not the end of a book at breakfast for 2023. And it's not even the end of our discussion of all things Tolkien. Because way back in September 2022, we promised you an episode on the Peter Jackson film adaptations of The Lord of the Rings, which for various reasons didn't happen. But seeing as this December, the 17th to be exact, marks the 20th anniversary of the theatrical release of The Return of the King, we thought, what better way to revisit those wonderful films and finally give you our thoughts on those adaptations. And joining us to discuss those wonderful films is the one and only Jess of the Shire. Now, if you haven't seen Jess's channel on YouTube already, go and check her out ahead of the episode. She has some wonderful videos on various adaptations of, of Tolkien. Uh, there are videos where she reads some of Tolkien's short stories. She's got a wonderful video on death and immortality in The Lord of the Rings. A whole video delving into who is Tom Bombadil and book versus movie comparisons. Um, and she really knows her stuff. So check her out and join us on the 17th of December to celebrate 20 years of Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings films. <laughs> 